0: A special post budget interview with Minister Ong Yi Kong, Minister of
1: Education on Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin. Good morning. Today we're taking a closer look at how Singapore's budget 2020 addresses the education sector here in Singapore. We're going to look at some of your burning questions, important questions like the issue of access that every Singaporean student has to quality education at all levels, regardless of family incomes. A number of measures have been announced, including increasing bursary quantums, upping transport subsidies for all students, giving greater school meal subsidies to secondary school students and doubling the spending on the preschool sector. We take a step back for a view of subsidized education for Singaporeans at public institutions. It's six years of primary school education which is free for all citizens. The secondary school fee is $5 a month. Students pay up to $25 in miscellaneous fees. Besides the issue of costs over the years, the education system in Singapore has adapted to calls for a more holistic system, one that addresses the whole person. And so we've seen measures that address excessive testing and a rethink of the scoring of the PSLE to allow for a greater definition of success. The first cohort in two years will be graded along a system that reduces the variations of possible scores from 200 to 29. So really reducing the fine differentiation of students at the age of 12, very young age. And in this year's Budget and Recent Committee of Supply Debates held just last week. You may have heard some more changes coming your way, from measures to make school life more affordable to readying students with relevant skills for a digital future. But what do those changes mean for you and your child? We're going to find out now with Minister for Education, Ong you? How are you today, Minister? Good morning.
0: Um, Good morning. I'm good.
1: Okay, I'm going to start with an issue A lot of Singaporeans worried about the stress in education system You obviously grew up at a different time with the system You went to Maristella High, Raffles Junior College, LSE So, between LSE and Maristella High School Which was more
0: stressful, Minister? Um, I think it would be Maristella <laughs> <laughs> the the reason is because I, I grew up in a Chinese-speaking family and, and dialect-speaking family mm. So up to secondary school, even in JC, my English was poor So that is a constant stress for me wow. Keeping up with all, especially the humanities subjects The geography, history, I really struggled through them
1: And look at how far you've come <laughs>
0: Well, it means it's never too late to learn.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Yeah, even if it's just memorizing five more words every day, you just keep on doing it, and at some point, you get it.
1: That's fantastic! (laughs) Wonderful to hear. All right, let's start with the big picture when it comes to education, Minister. What is being done to enable that our education system plays the role of social leveler of inequality?
0: It has always been the primary mission of the education system. The best test for a good education system is that if you have a student from a poor background, can the student grow up being somebody, you know, and lead a meaningful life, uh, fulfill aspirations and dreams? And I think our education system has always been able to do that. Mm -hmm. Recently, of course, we put a lot more emphasis, devote a lot more resources from preschool onwards. And then student care, special programs, especially targeted at students from poorer backgrounds. And we have this program called Uplift Mm. that Second Minister Indrani is coordinating. And that one, we even uh, rope in community partners, different stakeholders in the community, so that we can have a more holistic intervention, not just in school, but also at home. Also for the character, holistic development of the child, especially those from poorer backgrounds. Um, so a lot has been done. Of course, there is also this very important move that we are making, which is facing our streaming, which I think also will play a part. Yeah, I can talk about that if we have time. Oh, great. Um, but I think actually a lot has been said about investing in the children when they are in school. But actually the big impact is always in IHLs, post-secondary institutes of higher learning, mm-hmm. whether it's IT, polytechnics or university. Uh, today 70% of every cohort, every 10 students you find the this level, level, seven, seven of them would have gone to polytechnics or university. That means tertiary education. And for them, once you are in there, you go to a course which you can develop your skills, uh, your knowledge, and then you can embark off on quite meaningful careers. So we have quite good track record in terms of employment outcomes. So for polytechnics and university graduates, 90% will find jobs within six months. Yeah, And starting pay has been rising. We are also monitoring how do, how they do five years, 10 years after they graduate. And I think uh, first data will come in this year. But I think so far, the indications is that it's a healthy trend as well. So in other words, having gone through the education system, by the time you finish IHL and step into the workforce, you pretty much can press a reset button. That what your previous disadvantages you are born into more or less has been reset. From then on, employers look at you, not at your background, employers look at you in terms of your performance, in terms of the output you can produce. So I think it has always been a system where we can level people socially Mm -hmm. and that must continue to be a primary mission of the education system.
1: What's being done to help students, though, who may be falling behind? And what can we do to ensure that access to resources doesn't lead to a widening of the gap between those who are far ahead and those who are behind? Mm.
0: It's quite a, a bit of a government philosophical question. Yeah, The reality in life mm. is that affluent families can always provide much better And we cannot fault them for doing so. Every parent will want their child to do best, to do their best. And whatever resources at their disposal, they are prepared to spend it. Uh, so it's difficult for us and I think it's impossible for us to tell parents don't spend on your child. Mm. Yeah, which is why when it comes to tuition, it's an issue that I'm a little bit more circumspect. I think it's very hard to say we ban it uh, because parents will find a way. If I've had the resources, I'll find private tutors, I'll find different ways to give the best to my children. So the best way for us to counter this is mm-hmm. to make sure that our national system is top class, world class even and make sure that common experience we provide for every Singaporean is right up there. Mm. In many countries, you notice stratification worsens often because the national system failed the masses. When the national system falls in quality and experience, the affluent will opt out of the national system and they will buy a better product in the market. So for us, we try to uh, negate that by making sure that the national system is of high quality. So you see the kind of programs that we have rolled out from applied learning, from the CCAs, from outdoor adventure learning, uh, and now we are doing uh, digital literacy and junior sports academy. So all these programs are done at a national level. So, so long as you are a student in our system, regardless of your background, you can benefit from it.
1: Everyone wants to hear what changes are in the works when it comes to the curriculum. There have been many over the years. Uh, The focus has been (coughs) reducing testing, making PSLE more fair, almost widening the definition of what Those are
0: structural changes. I wouldn't say they are... Curriculum changes. Yes, but what, we, but what we're what, talking about we, today yes. is,
1: yeah. And I wonder if we could zoom in a little on what you think are the most significant in terms of curriculum changes, what will be taught and how that will be taught.
0: Mm. I was just reviewing my speech in Parliament and was thinking, uh, how, can I, how could I have made it better? And maybe one thing I should have explained is that um, because we all know a change in the curriculum is probably overdue, we know that the world is changing, job nature has changed, uh, so curriculum must change to prepare our kids for the future. So, what is it that requires changing? Mm-hmm. So, I was thinking that actually, I think the biggest change we are all undergoing is technology. Yeah, uh, It requires, it changes the nature of our job. I don't think it's going to make our job redundant, but certainly the skills we need to carry on doing the work we are doing will change. Yeah. I just look at you, the number of Equipment, technolog- technology, equipment that is here, but at the same time, we know technology is the double-edged sword. You are exposed to it early; you can be misguided by it. Yeah, exposing to technology gives a child uh, a lot of decisions that we never had when we were children. Right? Indeed. Yeah, when you go online, do you are you a nice guy? Are you the supportive friend, or are you the nasty friend? Are you a cyber bully? You know, when you go on you see scams but you also see good discounts in real stores, you know. <laughs> so what do you go after? You know? Uh all of us now hold a powerful video recording machine uh a device in our hands. What do we use to record? Mm-hmm. Good things or bad things? So we all have those decisions to make now. And children uh never had such such powers until this generation. So it's a double edged sword. And at the same time, when they grow up because of technology, you find the world has gotten smaller. Uh, you can bring whatever venture you are doing overseas to the region, yeah, where it is, in the past it's not so possible. Now with digital technology, it's possible. But you still need to know the region. So I think these are, this is, these are all big changes brought about by technology. And I think we can start preparing our children from young for this future.
1: So, so more class time is going to be spent on cyber wellness in the character and yes. citizenship education. which explains
0: the three changes we are mm. making. Mm-hmm. First, you've got to understand how to use technology properly. That's what we call digital literacy. Yeah. We break it down into components, find, think, apply, create. We can talk about that. But underlying that is you must have cyber wellness. You must learn how to live safely in this space. And we will have start to emphasize on that. And our approach is this. It's not just about learning how to go online and how to behave, but it's to say that the dangers and the downsides of the digital world, you need to address it through the values of analog world. Mm. Yeah. So focus on the values, focus on character, and good values, good morals should be applied offline as well as online. And if a child has that grounding, I think they will survive much better. It's a bit counterintuitive, but the more digital we become, the more analog we need to make our teaching. And then when, if you have the good grounding, you understand digital literacy, the next step is also understand the geography and the region around us. Then I think it's a holistic approach to tackling this thing called technology and disruption in Industry 4.0. And I think that is really underlying consideration of our curriculum changes.
1: It's great to hear that with so much change, you're addressing the digital natives, so to speak, the young people um, on so many different fronts, so to speak. So helping them out when it comes to being better digital citizens, but also helping them in the real world get to know our neighbours. There's a big thrust on on knowing Asia. And Mm. I wonder, you know, Indonesia is the largest economy in Southeast Asia. Is this part of the reason why we're pushing to better understand our Asian neighbours, the economy, economic side of things? They
0: are our hinterland. Yeah. This is all our hinterland uh, ASEAN alone is 650 million people One of the fastest growing regions in the world People in the west, young people in the west They are flocking here to backpack To go for internship And to really understand the region Because it's exciting Fast growing, culturally, very diverse mm. um, History wise, uh, very interesting So it's our backyard But being our backyard Sometimes we can take it for granted But I think we should stop doing that Uh, Be mindful, we live in a very exciting region and we should know more about it. But the challenges I I mentioned, the the key changes I mentioned earlier, the key challenge is where are we going to find all the time? The curriculum is already so packed, right? (laughs) Mm,
1: That's a good point. That is a great point. And, you know, when it comes to understanding Asia, is this going to come with an opportunity for students to learn more languages? Oh, um, I languages. think
0: we will approach it from a few fronts. One is the humanities itself. I think whether it's social sciences, geography, or history, I think sufficient emphasis must be placed on the region. So I think we can learn more about, say, say we, we should continue learning about the Cold War, but how is it affecting ASEAN? And ASEAN was a big theater uh, for power, uh, for geopolitical power tussle mm. at that time. Um, so we can learn more about these aspects of history. Uh, likewise for geography, the centrality of ASEAN is such a big thing for Singapore in terms of our diplomatic relations and as well as our foreign policy. Uh, that I think we can bring out during social studies and other, pro, uh, other subjects. That's one. Second area is through just exposing yourself and going to the region for internships, for study visits, for uh, even social services, right? Which many schools and IHLs are starting to do and I think we should do more of that. Yeah, DPM Heng mentioned uh, Aspiration 70 by 70 So we would like At some point All our uh, students in IT Polytechnics and universities 70% of them Ought to have a stint 3 months or more Preferably 6 months In the region
1: Yeah,
0: oh. uh, 70% ought to have a stint 3 months or more Outside of Singapore Of which 70% of them Should be in the region ASEAN, China or India
1: that's great. Yeah.
0: And third, of course, is uh, languages. Yes. But I would say the priority is to learn our mother tongue better, you know, because our mother tongue actually represents, uh, is, is commonly spoken in the region as well. So by learning our mother tongue better and making sure we try to be bilingual, which I tried to be and gave me a lot of stress. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think that is tremendously useful. The whole world is moving towards bilingualism, even multilingualism. We have a head start because we always have that as our core policy. And I think it's... Now I think we should double up and strengthen that. And there will be always some students with a knack of learning languages. So recognize those and... If they want to learn a third language, especially a re- regional language, I think we should encourage them and, and make those uh, opportunities available. So we're going to start with Thai and Vietnamese and teaching them, especially for the students who are going for exchanges or, or study visits. Is this going to gonna be to optional
1: for students? Um, typically,
0: conversational languages? Typically, the, the trips are optional. Mm. Yeah, uh, But for the students who sign up for it, I think we will pair them up. Uh, we will equip them with some lessons in Thai and Vietnamese, so that they can pick up the languages, not for exams, not for scoring grades, but conversational. Actually use it.
1: Even as we contemplate change to come in the curriculum, um, some things are going to stay the same. So why is it important? What are these cornerstones and why is it important that some things do stay the same?
0: Well, this important principle when you make changes and make reforms, uh, you don't go for revolution, you see. You, uh, your approach is a revolution. You throw away everything that used to work and just move to a whole new system. Mm-hmm. And chances are you will not be better off. Mm-hmm. I think we have to recognize that the education system we have today has surfaced very well, tremendously well, and so and very well regarded in the world. But we are in a new phase, very different environment, very different future, uh, very different expectations of our people. So we do have to change the system, but recognizing that what are the strengths, traditional strengths that we should keep and what are the new strengths that we should develop. We just spoke about bilingualism and that's a traditional strength and I think we should keep and strengthen it. I suppose to say that it's not relevant anymore. Quite the opposite.
1: So as a recent committee of supply debates you were asked about updates to the movement on nurturing the joy of learning. Given the changes that you've seen implemented so far is school moving in that direction becoming more joyous?
0: Mm, Depends on what age I wouldn't characterise school as joyous. Uh, whether you ask parents or students if we are honest with ourselves, uh, more feel stressed than joyous. CCA is joyous. Recess PE are joyous. Indeed. In lower primary, PEL, PEL is uh, very joyous. But when it comes to exams, comes to tests, I think it's still stressful. But there's nothing wrong with some stress. I think students do, learn, do need to learn how to cope with stress. And some stress is actually good in terms of motivating ourselves to do better get the adrenaline going, but you just don't want exams to become the centre of school life. And you don't want stress to overwhelm and a kid and blanket the whole experience. Yeah, so there has to be a balance, it should be more holistic. I do see a big change in primary school, especially mm-hmm. lower primary, because we did away with exams for two and a half years, P1, P2, and mid-year of p Three, Mm -hmm. so their first exam is P three year end, Uh, and I think the younger students are feeling it. They are, they find schools fun. I think most of them do. Uh, Secondary school students less so. Yeah, Uh, I noticed many of them actually don't like the reduction of exams. Yeah, they prefer the exams. Yeah, they prefer the mid year exams Mm -hmm. because they say then, then I have one exam to work towards. Whereas now, without the mid year exam, I start to have multiple mini assessments in class, all of which are counted. And therefore, they get more stressed out as a result. So I tell them, that's a result of your learning habit having formed and cemented. Mm. So I studied like that. I'm daydreaming most of the time in class. And when it comes to exam, a month before exam, then I mark. (laughs) Uh, After I mark, then I can do well in my mid-year exam. I can say I did okay.
1: So you would appreciate a mid-year exam yourself in the past? I
0: would think so. But really? to be honest, that's not a good learning habit. Hmm. I should be paying attention in class and at least keeping up with what the teacher is saying. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to daydream and then try to cram everything a month before mid-year exam. That's not a good learning habit. <laughs> yeah. well. be- be- this is important because once we start work, that wouldn't get us by. That yes. habit wouldn't get us by. Yes. In, in our daily work, we have to keep on learning and absorbing and understanding what's going on and just keep on learning. There's no exam. we got to have that self-motivation to stay alert, to be curious and, and to learn. As opposed to say, six months from now is that big presentation to the boss. From now, I don't have to do very much. One month before the big presentation, then I start working. You, you can't work like that.
1: Right? Yeah, absolutely. So that
0: habit for lifelong has to be inculcated from young.
1: Absolutely. You know, we we're down to the final minutes of the show, and I know that very often when I meet listeners, they say my children listen to Money FM, and I say your children are so little, and they well. say, yeah, they're <laughs> trapped in the car, so they have to listen. <laughs> so, for the little ones listening in on their way to school or at CCA activities, what message would you like to share with the young people listening in?
0: Um, a serious message. Doesn't have to be. Yeah. Well, I was I was going to say study hard. <laughs> Play hard, study hard. But little children, if you have time to think about what do you want to be when you grow up, that's a worthwhile thing to think about even when you are young. And don't lose those dreams, you know. You look, you, if you speak to very young kids, they always have some dream. I'll grow up to be a policeman, I'll be a fighter pilot, you know, I'll be a doctor, I'll be a lawyer, you know, I'll do all the cool stuff. But when we grow up, we all end up working in cubicles, Right. Yeah, so don't let that dream slip away. Keep on thinking. You know, what do I really want to be? Not just the job, but the purpose of the job. Um, so, kids, keep on thinking about that question. Don't don't lose sight of it.
1: Great, great words of advice. And for the parents out there who are Kancheong spiders and a bit stressed and worried about these upcoming changes, any final words to the parents? Yeah,
0: we are all Kancheong spiders. (laughs) We're all in the same boat. Uh, I think one important thing, the education system, teaches. we are trying to make the system better. Uh, Of course, we can't say quality is always even across schools, across teachers. There's always some differences in quality. But, But remember, we always have the children's interest at heart and it's extremely important. Parents, teachers must work together. Yeah, especially when we start moving into areas like morals and values. Parents and teachers must work together. When the kids start saying, when the kids start to notice, teachers say one thing, parents say another thing. They'll be confused, and they will it will lead them in different directions. So make sure we, we work together.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming by, zooming in on the tweaks to the curriculum and uh, for letting us get to know you a little thank bit. Thank
0: you. Time flies. 20 minutes already.
1: Oh, we, we can put <laughs> another 20 minutes on the clock. But thank you so much for joining us, Minister for Education, Ong Kang, in a special here on Money FM.
0: To listen to more great interviews,
1: download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.